morning again. Let's go to John chapter 18. And we are going to be in uh, verses 34 to 36. And this is a part two of our message from last week. And uh, Lord willing, we'll have a part three next week unless we get through it today. So let's look at uh, John 18, 34 to 36. Well, we'll start at 33 again. Therefore, Pilate entered again into the praetorium and he summoned Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And then Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you this about me? And Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your nation or your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. And I ask you, Lord, to help us today understand and discern this scripture. Please bless this teaching in Jesus' name. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen those million-dollar bill gospel tracks. I used to like handing those out. It looks like a million-dollar bill, and it's got the gospel really small in the back. Not only does it usually get a chuckle uh, from the recipient, but it almost always gets a shocking reaction when they first see it. You got one over there, Ray? Look, he's got one. Okay, cool. First thing they always say is, this guy giving me real money? You know, not taking that. Then they quickly detect it's a prop. And once they walk away, hopefully they begin reading it to spur their interests into the kingdom of God and the things of God. You see, once you know what something is, such as what real money looks like, you can quickly identify a counterfeit. As the story goes, those in law enforcement who detect counterfeit currency, they spend very little time studying fake money. They don't go around and study the counterfeit as much as they spend their time studying what the original looks like. What does the real authentic bill look like? And then once they find that out, they can then trace the origins back to where that counterfeit, they'll spend time on that. Now, last week we learned a little bit about the what of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? So now, after last week, hopefully we have a better idea of what the kingdom of God is. Again, this is not an easy one sort of sermon type of thing. You have to dig into it and study these things. And the things that I'm showing you and tell, don't take my word for it. Go and dive into the scriptures and study them yourselves, please. Especially with something so critical and so important as the kingdom. So we did that, I hope, a little bit last week. We tried to detect the original versus some of the other duplicates out there. We discovered the kingdom of God, in a broad stroke definition, is the frame and climax of the story of Israel. So the kingdom of God is what Israel's expectation was. That's what they were waiting for. That's number one. Number two, the kingdom of God is God's rule. It's his rule being bore down onto this world. The kingdom of God before Jesus died and rose again was temporarily usurped by the kingdom of Satan. He took dominion back in the garden. 
He took it away from mankind. And since then, there's been that ever, that back and forth battle through the whole scripture until the Messiah comes and he defeats Satan at the cross in his resurrection. And he, he takes his rightful rule back on the throne. And the final thing we talked about was that the kingdom of God is, in fact, the central theme of the gospel. It is the catalyst of the gospel. Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God specifically over a hundred times. In, the, in all of the New Testament, the word kingdom <clears throat> is used about 160 times. So the kingdom of God is a very, obviously, incredibly important topic for us to understand. And it is a very confusing topic because instantly when we think of kingdom of God, we think of, well, where is it? I don't see it. What's going on here, right? We, where is it? <clears throat> so we talked about what, but that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to move to this next section. Where is the kingdom? Now, you have to forgive me because... The what of the kingdom, the where of the kingdom, and the when of the kingdom is what we're going to talk about next week. There's a lot of overlap there. So when I do borrow from another sermon on this that I preach either last week or next week, I will let you know. Because I may not be able to elaborate on that too much until we get to it next week. Because the, king, the scriptures have so much to say about the source, the location, and the implementation of the kingdom. And the where is what we need to know before we're able to do that. And that's what we're going to focus on today. And so without this firm understanding of the where, of where the kingdom of God is, our worldview tends to become skewed. Our worldview and even, our, even the gospel message becomes very inward focused. And, and it, it should be. The gospel is for you. The good news is for you. It's to transform you. It's to make you know Jesus Christ personally. I am not discounting that. All I'm saying is that oftentimes we just start there and we forget about how that big picture is. And the big picture is framed around the rule of God. The gospel is not about me and my salvation or just about getting to heaven. It has to be first focused Godward. Now, as a result of Jesus reclaiming his rule and authority over creation allows us to maintain this focus because that rule and authority had to happen before he was able to give gifts. See, he ascended on high and when he did, he gave gifts unto men. He couldn't do that until he ascended on high. He had to be royally enthroned as king in order to, in God's, in God's justice, be able to dispense those gifts and to be able to provide salvation. Otherwise, it could have just been, hey, send, a, send the Son of God into the world, let him come for a day or two, and Herod sends out his troops, like we read in the book of Luke, and he kills them, and we go, oh, that was the Son of God, and he died for the sins of the world so everyone can get to heaven. Game over. Let's just get out of here. Such a bigger picture. Such a bigger picture than that. So where can we find this kingdom? And most importantly, knowing where the kingdom is, how does it affect you and I personally? How does it affect God's will for your life? How does it affect you? Because God puts you in this time and place and planet in time in history 
because of no other reason than for his kingdom to glorify him and to propagate and implement the spirit inside of you to come out. So it's no longer just in Jerusalem or Israel or the temple, the Holy Spirit, you are the temple. Now go out and build for that kingdom. So as we read in our scripture here, seems maybe it's just a little contradicting, Pat, because you're reading me a scripture that says, well, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. In the original language, there's a little nuance in that sentence where Jesus is actually sort of comparing his servants to the servants of Pilate. My servants wouldn't be fighting like your servants are fighting. The Romans and the Jews were the servants of Pilate. No, my servants are not, we don't operate that way. That's not how the kingdom of God works. Well, how does it work? Well, my kingdom is not of this realm. So when we say, where is the kingdom of God? We have to go, number one, it's from another realm. Now, if you remember, we talked about this text last week. We, we looked at it, and if you did your homework, and you got your lexicons out, or you went to blueletterbible.org, and you type in this scripture, you will see that it should read, my kingdom is not out of this world. My kingdom is not the sort of kingdom that grows from this world. It grows from another realm, but it is for this world. You will see that. And then again, at the very last part of the scripture, as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. What it really means there is my kingdom is really not from this place. Jesus says it twice. And the irony of the whole thing is we have the king creator of the world standing in front of the quote-unquote caricature of the king, Pilate, face-to-face. And we see this confrontation which we talked about. So the kingdom is from heaven, but it's a different sort of kingdom that it is from heaven but for earth. Now this word source is used other places throughout the scripture. James 4.1 What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? It talks about that word source, just like you would say, where is it coming from? Many times in the scripture, we hear about the Lord establishing his throne where? In the heavens, Psalm 103. And his sovereignty rules, that's a king type of language, over all. And then what... what, uh, Elder Kevin read here today, he said, Daniel 4, 25, 26, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it said, I hope you listen to what, always listen to what the Old Testament reading is, because it has to do with the sermon, Lord willing, most times. He said to Nebuchadnezzar, who was like, look at all of my kingdom, and God said, well, now it's going to be taken away from you. And he said, until you recognize that the Most High is ruler Over the realm of mankind, you are going to stay in this situation. He said, your kingdom will be assured to you, excuse me, after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. It is heaven that rules. The source of the kingdom 
is from heaven. Now, let me give you a, a, a weak analogy, okay? So, think about Hawaii. I don't know if you've ever been to Hawaii. I've never been to Hawaii. Hawaii is part of the United States, but Hawaii is disconnected from the United States. Now, if you look at Hawaii, it is the recipient of the rule of the kingdom of America. You understand that, right? We are here. Hawaii is many, you know, 10-hour flight away. Hawaii isn't necessarily connected to the land of America, just like right now we have a divider between the realm of heaven and the realm of earth. But heaven still rules over earth because it's part of it. The source of Hawaii's military power is what? Not Hawaii, but America. Those of you that deal with electricity will know the same thing. Our whole building here is filled with electricity. Thank you, Lord. But this electricity doesn't get its power from this building, does it? No, there's a power plant, I'm assuming. I know nothing about electricity. But there's a power plant that's the source of the power here. Now imagine you were out in the village in India where there is no electricity. And people have been living there for years and years and centuries without any electricity. They have a whole system of life based upon the fact that they need to provide their own ways to light things up, to cook things, and to do all that stuff. What would happen if you brought electricity to that village? And you just sort of kept it to yourself. Nothing would change in that village. Things may change with you a little bit, but not in that village. However, if you did explode that village with electricity, not literally, figuratively, the whole entire thing would change because of that power. And that's the kingdom of God. The power of the kingdom that is the source of the power is heaven, but it flows into this earth to make it change. And that's what we have to understand. If we start thinking of it otherworldly, invisible, not for now, it's only for later, we just simply walk around and we are missing like the boat. Like I said, driving all the way to the ocean and not looking up and seeing the water. And you look down and see the sand, how beautiful it is. You have to look up to see the big picture. And so <clears throat> this is about source of power. Now, there's, a, there's usually a couple objections to this. There's a couple objections from the scriptures that I want to I bring up. One, Paul says in Philippians 3.20, <clears throat> and this is so important to get because this is such a, a, a great um, scripture to support this idea of the kingdom being for this world. Yet they take this script, not, I shouldn't say they like these evil people, evil Christians. I'm not saying you have to believe exactly like this to be a Christian. But I'm telling you that it will transform. It will give you a paradigm shift. And you will see in a much clearer purpose, a much clearer sense of what God has put you here for. But here, listen to Philippians 3.20. <clears throat> for our citizenship is in heaven, from which... We also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know I used to read that and go, man, my citizenship is in heaven. I can't wait to get there. <clears throat> Colossians 1.5. <clears throat> uh, 
because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. So that's interesting. Paul says the gospel is the hope laid up for you in heaven. Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. But you see, we often think of this as we are going to get that hope when we get into heaven. And I, always, I like to use the thing, well, if I was going to get you food from the refrigerator, you don't need to get into the refrigerator to eat it. <clears throat> right? No, I take it in there. <clears throat> it's laid up for you in the refrigerator, and I am now bringing it out and giving it to you. Citizenship worked it, during the time of Rome, the Roman Empire. Rome ran the world. Paul is talking in language they can understand and relate to because a lot of them were Roman citizens, Paul being one of them. But Rome used to have provinces all over the place. And what was Rome's purpose? If you read history, Rome wanted to Romanize the world. They wanted to go out and make every little city that they were over a mini type of Rome. Although their citizenship was in Rome, it wasn't for Rome, if you lived in Philippi or in Colossus, it was for those areas because they were Roman colonies. So Paul was using this as an example, just like <clears throat> your citizenship is maybe in Rome, but it's for here. The same exact thing for the kingdom of God. Yes, our citizenship is in heaven, but it's not so we can go grab our card when we get there. It's so that way we could take that citizenship and we can populate the earth using it and with it. We can replicate it. We can make heaven on earth. That's the concept of the kingdom of God. So how do we apply the source and output of this power that we are getting from heaven? Well, number one, you already have it. You have the Holy Spirit living in you if you are a Christian. And the reason that you have the Holy Spirit in you, why is the Holy Spirit, what did Jesus say? The Holy Spirit is sent what? To go out and convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. How does the Holy Spirit do that? He does it through the church, through you, through you going out there. And, pre- and presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ in thought, word, and deed. That's bringing it here first. That's, that's, that's the first thing we need to do is, the, Jesus even said, seek first the kingdom and its righteousness, and all these things will be added onto you. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. See, that's how the kingdom of God gets promoted and propagated. So seek those things first. That means, people, you have to reject all the other substitutes. Reject the counterfeit version of the kingdom in this world. I'm not talking about the what I would consider maybe not quite accurate explanations of the kingdom because there's different theological camps. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the system of the world When you leave here, you are being torn between two, quote unquote, kingdoms. And I'm not promoting two kingdom theology here. I'm just saying you have that choice. You're under the realm of God. You're under the rulership of God. 
God's kingdom has come as Jesus prayed. However, Satan is still needing to be defeated. He must reign, Jesus, until all his enemies are put under his feet. That is through you. Getting out there and doing what God has called you to do. Unique to you. Unique to your abilities. Unique to your callings. Yes, that's how the kingdom goes out in every aspect. But what do we do? We reject. Here's the biggest ones. This the world offers you. The world offers you good works. That's held up so high, right? These multi-billionaires that we look at on TV or wherever you see them, oftentimes they'll make a very big, I used to be in marketing and public relations and personal promotion and all that stuff. And then one of the number one things you can do to promote and propagate yourself, and I'm not taking away from anybody that donates money or any of these people, I'm not trying to judge them. I have no right to do that. However, I'm talking about how the world sees it. The world sees, oh, I just, I am, uh, you know, uh, I took, you know, $2 million and I gave it to this cause. You know, I know my kids uh, talk about this, this guy on YouTube, right, Mr. Beast or something like that, and he gives like a million dollars, all right? You're all laughing back there. I, I don't even know who he is, but he's giving away a lot of money. <clears throat> and you know what? <clears throat> he's such a good guy, Dad. He's giving money away, and he is. That's great. But what we do in the world is we value good works, and we should. But we should never put that before God's righteousness. You see, the kingdom of God is what? Righteousness. Not good works. It's righteousness. How do we get righteousness? We, 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 are, we remain in Christ. We love Christ. And then the good works come out. <clears throat> Peace. What did Jesus say? Peace. I don't give to you peace like the world gives you. The world will tell you peace is in looking great, okay? Getting short haircuts, all right? Uh, You know, going and making yourself look really good and having a nice car and all that's going to bring you peace. Finding the right guy and the right girl. Oh, you're going to have peace. Getting your, oh, you're going to have peace. No, that's not the peace that Jesus gives. He says, in the world, you'll have tribulation, but take hold, I've overcome the world. So the peace that God gives is a godliness with contentment. A godliness with contentment. You live a godly life. You put away the deeds of the flesh daily, and you're content with who you are, where you are, what you have, and what you don't have. Praise be to the Lord. That's how God wants it. That's that's how the, the real kingdom works not with the peace of the world. Happiness. It's another one. A big worldly kingdom uh, quality. Happy, happy, happy. You'll be more happy. Every single commercial, those of you that watch, uh, you know, let's say uh, football today, right? Watch every single commercial. They're all telling you, you will be what? More happy when you do take, drink, wear, uh, sign up for their product. Oh, I'll be happier. No. Happiness does not come from pleasure. Happiness does not come from pleasure. And that's really what they're promoting you, a temporary pleasure. That's what all of our things that we go after are temporary. However, the true joy that you get 
Not from even prayer and all that stuff. No, the true joy that you get from knowing God, that is the chief end of man. Knowing who God is. His Jesus Christ, the one he sent. Knowing him, being more intimate with him, seeking after him. That's what brings true joy. That's what brings subsequent to that. You get happiness, you get pleasure out of all that, but it's godly. Do you understand the difference? And the huge, a huge other counterfeit kingdom that we got is the kingdom of me. I can do it. I just want everyone to know that I'm severely proud of myself about what I did and I've overcome a lot. And uh, I just want everyone out there to know that whatever you do, do it for yourself. Don't let anybody stop you. Be selfish. You know, cut out friends, family, whatever you need to do. You do for yourself because you're the only one. I mean, I can go on and on and on and on and on. Hey, you, this, <laughs> you say all that stuff, right? And, but, but is that what God says the kingdom is like? No, the kingdom starts what? Nobody with their hand on the plow that turns and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. That's crazy. He wants us to die to self. That's the useful worker of the kingdom. Now he can go be used and he can be. Now I didn't say you got to be perfect. I say you got to die to the flesh. Your will be done, Lord, and he will use it. So I know that's a lot for you, but good works rather than Christ's righteousness. Peace as the world gives versus the peace that Jesus gives. Not happiness and pleasure, but the true joy and contentment of knowing Jesus and not self-power, but the power of the Holy Spirit in us. That's how we win and build for the kingdom. So that's point one. Point two, the kingdom is also what? In our midst. Luke 17.20 says, that Jesus was being questioned by the Pharisees. And what did they want to know? When is the kingdom of God coming? Come on, you're the Messiah. When are we going to see the kingdom of God? When are we going to see uh, the Romans? When are we going to see, you know, Pilate? You know, what your knee on Pilate's neck? What, what's going to happen? And what does Jesus say? The kingdom of God doesn't come with signs to be observed. Okay? Nor will they say, look, here it is. Or, oh, there it is. Nope. Behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. In the, or you could say, it is within you. Now that's pretty powerful. Again, Saul stuff we've been talking about and saying and implying. But this is Jesus himself. He's saying that you want to see the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is here, he said that. And he also said that the kingdom of God is near you. We talked about that last week to those people that were close. No, but the ones that truly propagate it understand that the kingdom of God is inside of us. Again, the power of God. Not the, the, the spirit of God in us, yes. Not the spirit of fear. The spirit of power. The spirit of love. The spirit of a sound, focused mind. That is the recipe now you, with that kingdom of God in you, can now connect with that kingdom of God over you, and you will now be used. 
It's in the heart of man, but it cannot be found in unregenerate man. If you don't know Christ, the kingdom of God is not in you. You can only see the kingdom if you're born from above. Pilate was standing right in front of Jesus, who is in in effect the kingdom in the flesh. And what did he do? He had no idea. So it's, you could be standing in front of Jesus and still miss it. But you see, he was looking for the wrong things, wasn't he? Pilate was sniffing out Jesus for a while, I'm sure. That's how he used to do it. In all the other history of Pilate, he always had spies out in, inside Jerusalem, following around the, the zealots, following around the people that were causing trouble. And I'm sure he heard that there was some guy out there saying he's the king of the Jews. However... He didn't carry a sword necessarily. He didn't do what other self-proclaimed kings would do, rally troops up and get them all motivated to fight. No, he was humble. He was, he was silent. He was loving. He was healing. You see, he showed us what it was like when God's kingdom comes into the world. The kingdom of the Messiah, and the Jews knew this, would bring healing, resurrection, the calming of storms, and much more. Listen to, listen to Psalm 147. Here's the Jewish expectation talking about the Messiah. He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. Fits the, he fits that pretty well. Isaiah 35, 3, 6. The eyes of the blind will be open. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. Jesus did all that as well. Isaiah 26, 9, your dead will live. Psalm 89, 9, you rule the swelling of the seas. When it waves, when the waves rise, you still them. This is Jesus saying, look at me and look at all the really cool things I can do. He's saying the kingdom of God is here amidst you. And so what does that mean for us? It means that we have to emulate Jesus with this. Now, you may not have the the gift of miracles and healing and all that other stuff, but when you look at each one of these things, there's a common denominator that runs through it. Wherever there's pain and suffering and trial and tribulation, God sends in the kingdom troops. He sends his believers there and he puts them in those situations so that they can touch. And again, as Jesus touched, again, the, the, the blind man, he became, he was able to see. As he touched the ears of the deaf, they were able to hear. These are a picture of what we are to do as kingdom people. We are to go out and meet the world where it needs it the most in the pain and in the suffering and where there's, where there's lack of love, we have to come. That's why lack of forgiveness is no place in the kingdom of God. No place in the gospel. If you're holding a grudge, if you don't forgive, if you're the angry young man, you need to get rid of that. Because what ends up happening is it, it, it disconnects this whole entire thing. You can't do any of these things without that forgiveness, without that love. It's the badge of kingdom membership. 
So go out there and be Jesus to the world. Meet people at their pain. The power of the cross and the power of the kingdom. They're two, they're one coin with two sides. The same thing, cross and kingdom. They go together. Kingdom begins at the cross and it flourishes in the resurrection of the new creatures that are out there. It's let loose into the world, this kingdom power. Now, think about this. This kingdom power is let loose in the world. That's my third point. How come I didn't write three there? Hold on, give me one second, make sure I'm not missing a paper here. Yo, I did miss something. So the kingdom of God is... It is in our midst. It's in heaven. Well, first it's in heaven. The source is from heaven. That's number one. Number two, it's in our midst. And this third and final point, Jesus says the kingdom of God is near us. He says in Luke 10, 9, heal those uh, who are, he's sending out his disciples, heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. He said, go out and do miracles and say to them, God in the flesh is here? No. Tell them that the kingdom of God is near. Because of these actions, these kingdom actions they were doing should have made them go, oh, this is, this, this is the kingdom if we look back through the scriptures. Don't we see John the Baptist saying, hey, well, are you the person or should we wait for someone else, Jesus? When John was in prison, he sent that message to Jesus. What did Jesus say? Go tell John what? The dead are raised, the blind see, and the poor here in the gospel. In other words, everything that the scripture says about the kingdom is coming here through Jesus' ministry. So the kingdom of God is near us. What does that mean? That means every human being in the world, it's near? Yes. The power has been unleashed. It's effective to those that receive it. One of the most interesting scriptures that I think as it relates to this is Colossians 1.5. And it's actually, listen to this, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, we talked about that, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. And then I'm going to jump to 23. It says here, if you indeed continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. Now listen to this, the hope of the gospel that you have heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Now, wait a second, Paul. You're telling me that in AD 50, the whole entire gospel, I'm sorry, the whole entire creation has heard the gospel? No, I don't think that's what he's saying. But I do think it's a very good commentary on the kingdom of God is near us. Listen to what John Piper says here on this scripture. He said the fact, he's talking Greek language a little bit, the fact that the participle proclaimed is aorist tense does not mean the proclamation has already happened in the past. So the word proclaimed, a lot of Greek words don't translate over well into English, especially Greek phrases, I'm sorry, English phrases where Greek, the Greek has one word that explains the phrase with 20 different nuances and colors to it, which we sort of lose. He was saying that this is not the way these sort of aorists work, as Daniel Wallace makes clear in his Greek grammar book. 
He says this tense does not denote a specific time. So I'm going to translate it for you as per Piper here. He says, you he is now reconciled, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. And then he says, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. And then he stops and he says, the gospel, which is proclaimed in all creation under heaven. So that's how he translates it. Now, I like that translation, but Piper is trying to prove a point that I'm not. So, but I'm borrowing from it to make this point. I would agree with him, but I would add this. See, Piper's making the case so people don't think that the gospel's already preached throughout the whole world, so we don't have to do it anymore. That's not what he means. So I like that. However, I'm making a case for this ripple effect of the power of the gospel in the kingdom that has gone out into the whole world. So what I think Paul means is that this has been unleashed out into all creation. Not necessarily that every single human has heard it. So Pat, why do you believe that? Is that just a random, arbitrary guess? Listen to this. Romans 8, 20 to 22. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation, listen, itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know now the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth until now. So the gospel even affects the actual creation in some mysterious way. I believe that Paul is saying that this power, this kingdom power that has gone out into the world is near everybody. So now, yes, Piper, go out into all the world. Wherever you go, you are going to have this kingdom power that's working behind the scenes. It's working within the earth in some way that when he returns, the whole entire creation will be renewed. Did he not say, I make all things new? Did he not say there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth? They're going to come down together as one. And I believe that this passage about the, the, the gospel being in our midst and power being released is so important. So at overview, God, it's the kingdom of God. Where is it? In heaven, <clears throat> excuse me, on earth. Seek these things first, righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. Reject the counterfeits and substitutes. Don't be like Pilate. Number two, the kingdom of God is in our midst. I I mentioned meet the world at its pain with the power of the kingdom being Jesus to the world. And of, of course, what I just explained, it is near us. What a, what a, I could just imagine the church having, and I don't just mean us, I mean the, the whole entire church having a paradigm shift that God is truly king and, the, and, and that the church is truly the vehicle which has all rights given to it. No limitations to where to go out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and that that gospel will change hearts will change institutions, will change worldviews, will change people that were Saul of Tarsus into Paul the Apostle. 
but it begins with us. It begins with our worldview, knowing that now, capital N-O-W, matters. I believe in my personal belief, the scripture says, I shouldn't say personal belief, I believe the scripture teaches us that now is just as important as eternity. And we all think about, well, eternity, we got such everything, and it is. Trust me, if you're unsaved and you die without Jesus Christ, your eternity is going to be, I can't over-exaggerate the misery that you're going to feel and see and touch and be, you're separated from God forever. Yeah. But Jesus Christ, he, he, he's taken that curse away from you by you trusting in him. He pays for your sin and you then share in his resurrection. That same power you have to go out into the world. So here's what I would ask you to do. If you want to learn more about this, like I said, I'm not saying this is the perfect explanation, but I am saying investigate these things that we're talking about. Here's how you do it. The first thing that I would do is I would reread the Gospels. Everybody here. I mean, it's only going to take you a couple hours, a few hours, okay? Reread the Gospels with the context of what we've talked about so far in these sermons. Reread the gospel as the climax of Israel's story. Read the gospels as Israel waiting with bated breath for the king to come. Read the gospels with Jesus speaking to the people, to the Jewish people. All the parables are all about the kingdom of those that get the kingdom message and those that miss the kingdom message. Read it in context of Jesus being the expected king, the arriving king, but a different type of king. And third, follow his example in the Gospels of being to the world what Jesus was to Israel, what Jesus was to the Jewish people. Now we have to go out and be that to the world by announcing this kingdom message announcing the gospel of salvation, peace, truth, and justice. All the things that the emperor or the king would announce, we get to announce it, but for real. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, please go before us, Lord. Work in our hearts. Open our eyes to your scriptures. Let us be the kingdom people you want us to be. I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. And give us this paradigm shift to be your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.